All right. I forgot to auto start on YouTube, but I think we should be live now or about live now. Um, so I'll say what I said before I, for I forgot to turn on YouTube. Um, check the description for time codes if you want to skip around. Usually, uh, usually I'll take a couple minutes to get going here and then, um, uh, yeah, just we won't get started immediately and the stream tends to be long, so check the time codes. But Vin is in the picture and she doesn't necessarily like uh, me talking, so she's like wondering what I'm doing. I might have to let her out. We'll see. Not every day Vin's in the, on the stream with us. We'll see how long she lasts. Uh, so let me say some hellos. I even checked my time, my uh, my list, and I forgot to do that. But yeah, we'll take a we'll take some time to here to say hellos and get things going. Uh, hello, Thomas. Hello, Mark. Hello, Jed. Top notch cat footage. That's what we strive for here at Adafruit. Top notch engineering cat footage. Hello, Biata. Double the cats. You can see she's deciding whether she's going to stay or not. She wanted to be on my lap and I ignored her, so she went to go sleep with her brother instead. Um, hello, Hams Labs. Hello, Tammy. Hello, Foamy Guy. Hello, Anic Data. Hello, Keith. Hello, DCD. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Deshipu. Should I just do two hours of cats? <laughs> hello Adib hello xmicron hello 2231 puppy hello Andrew R from Cornwall hey Paul thanks everybody for joining it's these two cats woke us up last night fighting you wouldn't know they would fight but they do as well. They sleep together and they fight as well. Um, yeah, so I'm a little tired, but that's going to be my MO this year, I think. Because uh, if you don't know, we're expecting a, a human being in this family that will keep us up at all times of night. So <laughs> these cats are, are in for something. We're all in for something. Um, Abadus. Say that right? Abadus. Maybe? All right. Um, yes, please. Two cows, two hours of cats equals a happy forever. Well, we'll see how long we have two cats. She keeps looking at me. Um, all right, let's do housekeeping. Let's get the show on the road. I'm yeah, like I said, I'm a little tired. I've been trying to get myself into focus mode, so we might actually dive into some code here today, which I'm looking forward to. Um, all right, maybe we'll switch off cats here. Even though it's, it's up in the corner still. Do the cats know any Python? I don't think so. They're good at finding treats, I'll tell you that much. Um, okay, so hello everyone. My name is Scott and I work for Adafruit on CircuitPython. Adafruit is an open source hardware and software company based out in New York City but I work remotely for them here in Seattle. 
um, from my house. And uh, CircuitPython is a version of Python, which is a really easy programming language to get, in, to get into and learn. Uh, but we designed it for microcontrollers, which are little inexpensive computers like this one. Um, so underneath this metal cover, there's a, a small computer chip that can do Wi-Fi and BLE and run CircuitPython. And it does USB as well. Uh, so if you want to support me and Adafruit, who pays me, um, please go to adafruit.com, purchase some hardware there. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so much in advance for doing that. Um, I should also introduce, we have both cats here, so you can see there's Vin and Spook. Vin is the one on top. Um, and she's got like a smaller patch of brown than, than her brother who has like brown onto his ears. They're siblings. Um, and they have a love-hate relationship. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's me and the cats and Adafruit. Um, if you want to chat with me and a bunch of others, we do have an Adafruit Discord server, which everyone is welcome to join by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord. And that will pop you in, and that chat lasts all week long, all weekend long. Um, so that's a great resource for folks to get help with CircuitPython and other Adafruity hardware stuff. Um, so I highly recommend folks join there. Um, this is a deep dive. It happens every week um, for at least the next few more weeks. I'm not exactly sure. So I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to stop streaming. Foamy guys already said that he'd like to take the slot over. So expect to see some streams in this time spot slot, even when I've finished doing them. Um, they're normally Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, which is now-ish. Um, and they typically go for two hours or more. So we'll, I'm kind of tired, so we'll see. <laughs> she, uh, she got mad. Um, she is currently showing her frustration out on the DigiKey box that I have on the floor here. She really likes the cardboard paper packaging that they have. Um, yeah, so obviously this is a casual stream. Uh, we've got two hours to hang out and, and work on some stuff. If you have questions about CircuitPython or, or electronics, I'll do my best to answer them, but there's also a lot of knowledgeable folks that typically are in the chat. So uh, if you have questions, feel free to um, feel free to ask those in the in the chats. Uh, I'm following primarily the YouTube and the Discord chats, but I do have like LinkedIn and Twitch via the restream as well. Um, last up, all notes are available on GitHub. There's a github.com slash adafruit slash deep dash dive dash notes. Um, and that is where we kind of collect all of the notes that David, usually David, creates uh, for the streams. Super helpful. So thank you to David. And then pa Ask Patrick W does uh, a good job curating everything there. So if you check out that repo, you can actually search it to find a topic and then actually click a link to jump right into the time code of the relevant video about that topic. So it's a, a great resource and thank you again to Patrick and David for putting that together. Um, let's say a few more hellos and then I think I might have to kick this cat out because she's uh, threatening this DigiKey box. Um, hello, unexpected maker. Um, thank you for posting the link at AskPatrickW. Sounds like Ham's Lab starts a new job, so congratulations. 
Congratulations on the new gig. Hello, PupDev22, which I think is uh, 2231 Puppy on YouTube. So, yeah. <laughs> Patrick says, I fix issues with the GitHub actions to make that work as a hobby. Ah. Mark says, early question, did you ever cover how the compiler works in CircuitPython on one of these deep dives? I don't think so. I, I saw your question about the linker. Um, is that what you're thinking? Let me, I'm going to take my mic off here and just let Vin out and then we'll get back to it. Bad Abby's asking unexpected maker when unexpected maker's S3 boards will be will be available. Maybe I should stand. I adjusted my desk a little bit. Oh, that puts me a little higher. I like it a little bit higher when I'm standing, so I'll do it for a little while. Um, Abidus is getting some Feather RP2040s, which is awesome. What do the cats think of that paper wrapper that comes in the DigiKey boxes? Uh, Vin really likes to tear it up and and shred it even more. <laughs> hello, Kinger North, and hello, Bruce S. on YouTube. Um, Unexpected Makers is later today. I released them to patrons yesterday and giving them some time to purchase first. That's a great perk. That's a great idea, Unexpected Maker giving your patrons an early access to buy new hardware. It's a good idea. Gary T says, cool chair, thank you. It's a weird, I don't know if you can see the, like the seat is weird too. I'm like, I like it and I don't like it. It's not meant to be super comfortable. It's meant to be something that you wanna like not sit on for hours. <laughs> it's something that you're supposed to like want to sit on in a bunch of different ways so I think it it does fit that bill Mark says did you see that Zephyr now has support for the RP2040 I did not I'm not surprised Mark says looking from both points of view linker was for the actual linking of the circuit Python core and just general knowledge the compiler for more how the internal Python compiler works to save maybe some time going through the 3,000 lines of compiler.c code. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend you worry about how compiler.c works, honestly. Unless you're adding a Python feature that's like syntax related, you, you could just ignore it. That's my suggestion. I think one, one thing I've seen a lot of new software engineers get really hung up on is actually feeling like they need to understand everything before they can get started. And that's just, in large code bases, that's just not a, not tractable. You're, you'll never be able to, to do everything there. <laughs> uh, da, da, da. It's the least I could do for them, but uh, the drama is of me getting to this point. Hamslab says, I'm curious about your shirt. It looks cool, but I can't figure out what it is. Well, let me step back. 
I'll show you my shirt. This is a local band. Um, Smoky Brights is a local Seattle band here. So it's a, it's a foot with a rose underneath it. And then I'm actually, I don't actually know what this is, but it's a band, a band, a local band's t-shirt. They actually played at our, our wedding reception, which was really fun. Um, I'm sure Adafruit would be happy to stock the S3 boards. It's just the supply chain is so limited right now. I totally get it. Um, and oh, I should point out, talking about the compiler stuff for Mark, uh, Bruce S linked to a page in MicroPython where they where they talk about the compiler itself. So yeah, I mean, generally we rely on on MicroPython to do a lot of that uh, those changes. Ah, uh, David posted a link to Smoky Rights. Yeah, they're, I'm, I'm fans. I'm huge fans of theirs. I've followed them for years. So one thing that uh, my partner and I are trying to do is trying to figure out how to support local. And one way to support local bands is to buy their merch. So uh, she's gotten me a lot of different uh, local, local t-shirts from like local music venues and local bands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thomas says, regarding 5881, thank you for an example of how to use device info service for connections. Can now start coding for connecting only to the currently desired central connections. Uh, in the future would be desirable. But enhancing the ability to find out more about the centrals behind the connections in the future would be desirable. No need for now to go into more details of this right now. Yeah, I was I was starting to dig more into the BLE stuff just for this nimble Thing. And it's actually not super clear to me how to get the MAC address of the connection on the underlying stuff. Um, there's there is some complexity around that because um, in order to be uh, private, the the numbers, the the identification numbers that get broadcast in BLE actually rotate um, if you have it set up to do that, which you should. Um, that's one way so that it, it makes it harder to like follow a device if the device is changing its identifier from time to time. Uh, and then the, there will be cryptography that, that other devices can use to determine who's actually talking. Um, so it's not... I've been keeping an eye out when I've been digging in this stuff to see if we can figure out what the identifier of the connection you're connected to is, but I haven't stumbled across it yet. Um, I always think that deep diving with Scott is the perfect Monday activity to make us all happy. My Mondays are usually pretty busy. I like ordering from DigiKey too. I've, I tend to buy a lot of stuff that's not super urgent from DigiKey. If I need it urgently, I actually get it from Adafruit because they'll pay for the shipping. S3 boards ordered. Nice. Yeah, I'm very interested in the S3. We'll see. I've, I've made some progress. Um, <laughs> I've just been chatting. I did have some idea what I wanted to talk about today. Um, so first, I just want to do a quick uh, talk about CircuitPython 2022. Um, 
And uh, we t we've talked about this the last few weeks, and I, I, I shut it down at the end of uh, January and, and did a final post. Hey, Michael. Um, but I actually got another one today, and um, since the stream last week, I also got notes from Katni. So I, I thought it would be... Um, <laughs> you meant Friday. Uh, I thought it would just be cool to just... I think, I think it's worth just touching on these, these things here. So let's go to... Nice. People are purchasing from Unexpected Maker. That's awesome. Way to support the Maker community. So here's the desktop. Let me scooch this window down. Pierre says, hi, Scott. Not entirely surprised. The NRF52 chips and soft device have default MAC address, but can be changed really easily. Um, I think we're talking more about the MAC address of what you're connected to and not your own MAC address. <laughs> you can spam the channel with S3 board stuff. That's fine. We're talking about S3s today. It's related. Um, okay, so I just wanted to briefly cover, I think it's only these last two that we haven't covered yet. Um, do we do go little dog? Async support, Fido, USB stuff. The VPA3 should be pretty easy. I think it's just a, a setting, but I don't really know. HomeKit I think is complicated and Redis I'm not so sure. Let's see, that was posted Friday of last week, so maybe we didn't talk about it. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Uh, I got this one today from Axel. It's talking about having memory allocation issues, and it turned out that it's actually on the M4 boards on the Pi Portal and RGB matrix. So they're taking like two rather large projects and trying to mash them together. Um, that is running out of RAM and, and doing some cr having some crash problems, which is like it's really tough. It's really tough when where was it? Uh, using the ladder, it crashes after a few days. Like any crash that takes a few days to happen is just so hard to debug, right? Like crashes that are so intermittent and unclear kind of what led up to the crash it's just like really you can take you can spend a ton of time trying to fix those um, because it's so so difficult bad abby asks does adafruit have any plans to support a five gigahertz wi-fi chip i don't know i don't i don't do as much on the hardware development side i think it's just a matter of like i don't know of any chips that support five gigahertz do you <laughs> Um, I just, I just don't actually know what's out there for those. Um, I know that Espressif did announce at one point the ESP32C6, which is a Wi-Fi 6 capable, it's not available yet, but it's Wi-Fi 6 capable, but I don't know if that's, it's still only 2.4. 2.4 gigahertz, not 5 gigahertz. So 
I don't know of any plans. We're focused pretty much on this on the S3 right now. It's kind of at least what I'm working on. So uh, the last one, the last thing I wanted to highlight for the Circuit Python 22 is Katni's post. So uh, if folks aren't aware of Katni, um, so Katni is is working works for Adafruit has worked for Adafruit for five years or four or five years, like pretty came into the project pretty early and has this really strong, really good at writing very beginner friendly tutorials and documentation um, and is really good at uh, keeping getting people unblocked and leveling people up. So um, Katni's done an amazing job um, building the CircuitPython community which is important to highlight and um, it's it's important to talk like so much of these deep dives are about um, the technical side but the there's no way that um, CircuitPython will be what it is without community right like this deep dive is part of the community um, but there's yeah there's just so much other stuff to do in an open source project to make it successful um, so so Katni is a key part of that, and I wanted to highlight that. <laughs> oh, and we summoned Katni. Um, so yeah, if you don't know who Katni is, Katni's awesome. Um, and so I wanted to take the time. Uh, she got me her CircuitPython 2022 at the start of this week, and so I just wanted to, to highlight it, even though um, it's not... <laughs> It's a lot. It's it's a lot of uh, awesome community work. So let's just go over this. Um, maybe I'll drop the link. Uh, so Katney just posted to the Adafruit blog itself. Um. <laughs> We're confusing Katney. Uh, okay, so. Oh yeah, and the other thing I should say is you, if you've ever seen the code plus community equals circuit python moniker, um, that was directly Katni's idea. So Katni is the the source of all of that. So that's that's great. And Katni's done a lot of revisions with our moderators on our code of conduct and um, and then I think they were just saying that they joined a photography discord that like uses our code of conduct for discord as well so it's like it's it's very cool to start to see like the catney in particular has put a lot of work into the code of conduct and to see uh other people adopt it is is awesome so <laughs> uh okay so let's go over here so successes um we should keep the community in mind in everything we do and i think generally we do she says that we do a pretty good job. Um, I can say that this has been a success. Includes awareness when designing and updating APIs. So for example, one thing, one change that Katni's made to the core is um, Katni went through and made sure that the when you print out a pin in CircuitPython, if there's multiple names for the pin, the first one is the one that get, ends up getting printed. 
So Katni went in and made sure that like all of that ordering was correct so that the one that got printed was the thing that you see on the on the board itself. So um, lots of details like that make up the, the experience that we've got going here. Um, the documentation and support needs have regularly been discussed in applicable pull requests and we have had consistent follow through. Yeah. <laughs> Probably has the most CircuitPython e post of CircuitPython 2022. Yeah, and I think it's important to also remember that, like, the beauty of having a community is that people complement each other. So, like, Katni's a great complement to the, what I do <laughs> and what I don't do. Um, so, I think that's, that's a large part of it that, that is important to realize. It's important to realize that that a, com a community can run a project and you know in the same way that when we do our meetings on Mondays and we do hug reports like eat none no single person of us needs to know everything that is worth uh, thanking people for in hug reports but collectively we can shine the light on other people and the, the stuff that other folks are doing so um, there's a there's a huge strength in having a strong community so okay so room for improvement uh, in the last couple years, one thing she pointed out last year and, and still wants us to continue is, um, like we, we do this annual planning, um, hi Aza, um, we do this annual planning with CircuitPython 21, 22, um, but Katni thinks that it's something that we should kind of be more open to and we should, we should be more explicit about throughout the year. Um, so I did say that in my wrap up post of like, it's never too late to let us know what you're interested in. Um, but I think maybe we should be more explicit, maybe with major releases or releases, um, compliments and compliments. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. And I think we, we continue to need to make to do that is like, talk about how we're always open to hear what people want to do. That doesn't mean we prioritize what people want to do, but I think it's really helpful, and I've talked about this with CircuitPython 22, is that it's really helpful to just say, hey, I'm interested in this thing, and then um, we have spaces where people can collaborate to make those things a reality, right? And one thing that I've always tried to do myself is that, like, always I always prioritize unblocking people above any of the technical work that I'm doing right like I do emails and I do reviews every day and if folks have questions on discord I'll get those to those every day every work day um, so it's really important to me that like people don't get hung up and that like as people come along and want to do stuff they can do that so um, I think we should be more I agree with Katni that we should be more inviting to, to like facilitate uh, people saying what they'd like to see in CircuitPython and, and finding the spaces and the people to work with on those things. Um, okay, so let's see. The second paragraph is talking about keeping up with issues and pull requests. And this goes very much into what I was just saying. Of like, it's no fun as a new contributor to like create something and then let it languish and, and not actually see it be contributed to the greater good right like the 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 main project so um that's that's kind of what's been still a bit of a struggle throughout last year but um it's been getting better 
<laughs> JP Constantinow says, I was reminded rec recently about the proverb, it takes a village, and CircuitPython is no different. 100%. But it is really like a shift. Like, it's it's sometimes really tricky to, to recognize that um, it's worth the time, right? Like, it can be really hard to to believe that it's worth spending an hour and a half on emails every day and forum po posts and things. Okay, so let's see. Looking ahead to 2022, it is incredibly important to build up those around you. That's been great. Katney's been mentoring folks. <laughs> we as admins and moderators strive to keep the community space community space safe and welcoming. However, the matter the fact of the matter is that the community does most of the work for us. Yeah, that's been awesome. It's been great to be able to uh, rely on other folks and, and, and the team that we have for moderation. When we first started the Discord, it was really me like trying to read everything. Uh, but we quickly got kind of people people going. Um. Oh, nice. Hams Lab says, I started an EFF group here in Buffalo and used that code of conduct. <laughs> um. Hello, Johnny. Okay, let's keep going. Three helper roles for the Adafruit Discord as a way for folks to level up. And the meeting is public. We have hug reports. Ah, so this is, this section here is a is pointing out that hug reports is actually still um, limited to the people that are able to make the Monday meetings. And um, Katney's saying here that we should make more of an effort to put hug reports in the hug reports Discord channel because that's because it's kind of an, an asynchronous way of doing it. We can just kind of like do it all through the week and include people that can't make make it to the voice meeting. I think that's a good point. Um, yeah, good first issues. Good first issues, and then also highlighting uh, the new folks that we get contributing every week. It's been pretty awesome. Like we keep track of like how many people are involved in filing issues and how many authors we have, and that number is going up, which is good. Uh, da, 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 da. Show and tell is a great way to see what folks are doing. The community bundle is really taken off. Um, it languished for a little while, but it's it's definitely taken off. <laughs> um, and then for 22 foamy guy is gonna be able to spend more hours working on adafruit stuff because we're paying foamy guy part-time which is super exciting and and tim who's foamy guy uh has already like really made a dent in the backlog of library prs so that's been really awesome um, and like I said, the plan is for Tim to take this time slot when I'm out on paternity leave. Um, 
Then Katni says thanks to Anne and Tim and Bruce for the graphics, and thank you to the moderators, Adafruit, Lamore, and PT. And then says, we say code plus community equals CircuitPython. The more both CircuitPython and the community grow and evolve, the more true the aphorism, aphorism becomes. I want us to continue to remember that CircuitPython requires this community. More importantly, I hope we can properly express to the community what their importance to us and CircuitPython. Thank you to everyone for being a part of it. I'm excited to see what happens next. So thank you to Katni for reminding us all of the different components that go into building the community that we have. And thank you to Katni for her hard work and also all of you as being a part of that. Um, okay, let's, let me get caught up on the chat here. So Aza says, anyone successful using platform IO, VS Code, Wintel to build and upload Arduino or IDF to the Adafruit CutiePie ESP32-S2? Mm -hmm. That I don't know. Do not know platform IO. MD Robert says, how does the CircuitPython 2022 resolve? Are you going to publish a manifesto or something? So I, I think I did try to do that in previous years, but I, it's tricky. And this is the line that we're, we try to try to walk a lot, right? Like there's a difference between CircuitPython prioritization as the larger project which is made up of a lot of volunteers. And then there's also the prioritization of the folks that Adafruit pays to work on CircuitPython. And I'm one of those people. So I did kind of want to, I think in the past, not last year, but maybe the year before, or before that even, like I did try to kind of summarize everything, um, but it's really hard. And I think instead, uh, this is always planning and doing is saying like, okay, here's all of them. And the way that I see it is, is it's really just a like, hey, check them all out. And I cover them as well, right? So like, it's more about let's, let's all talk about it and find the people that we relate to and collaborate. Um, and so I don't plan on doing kind of one summarization, all, all of that. Um, part of it's just I'm not a spectacular writer. Um, and I also don't want to, like, I don't feel like I can impose on other people what they should be working on either, right? Like, I consider myself to be kind of the leader of CircuitPython core, but, um, it's kind of really just like, I want us to all like, the same way that we have hug reports, it's important for us to build and communicate about shared values. Um, but I don't necessarily think that that needs to be in a, like one formal document um, rather it's like a bunch of people contributing their perspectives on it um, but maybe that's also just my cop out I don't know um, I think I think the other piece of this annual planning that we do the circuit Python 22 is uh, it really does highlight, and this has kind of been my theme as I've gone through it this month, is like, 
it really does highlight the principles of what is important to those of us that have been involved for a number of years and like the things that we hold core to like the way that we make decisions doesn't necessarily change from year to year and it's just cool to see how those principles and philosophies have just um informed what we've done and and how successful those things that we choose to do are i think generally we make pretty good decisions in terms of what we're going to focus on and how we balance trade-offs so i think it's we're going the right direction i think it's just a matter of like uh yeah it's it can get hard to go in the same direction for a lot of years if you think you're done but I think it's important to remember that things are really quite hard still. Um, so I think I think there's more room than we think there is, which is different from the like idea that <laughs> that you can get bored of doing things. But yeah, Thomas has a question. Uh, I asked on Discord, but nobody seems to know the answer. Does anyone know about a driver for Windows to make a Bluetooth? COM port to the Adafruit BLE services Nordic UART service accessible by standard Windows operating calls. Bluetooth 2x, 3x, SPP serial port profile is supported out of the box in Windows, but Nordic's UART seems not to be. Yeah, that I don't, I don't know. I don't use Windows regularly, so that's part of it. But if any, uh, any Windows folks out there know how to deal, do UART over BLE, reach out to uh, Thomas. <laughs> and Paul points out that Katni will be the first guest on Paul's new CircuitPython show podcast. Tammy says, the principles and values of the community and of Adafruit's culture are, I think, the secret sauce of the community piece of CircuitPython. And then Pierre asks, when is the first CircuitPython show podcast scheduled to be out? And Paul says, March 1st. And thank you to Paul for doing that. I should say that Paul and I recorded our episode already. And it will hopefully be good. Should be good. But I think Paul is thinking I'm going to be the sixth episode. So it'll be a little while. I might be on paternity leave when that comes out. But I'm sure it'll be good. Okay. Any other questions, or should we dive into some Bluetooth? I'll show you where I'm at. I'll take a cat break here. Do I need, like, cat break music? Spook all on his own. All right, I see no questions and no objections to doing some Bluetooth stuff. I know there's a bit of a lag. Ooh. Sorry if I made you yawn. So what I've been working on and honestly struggling a little bit with is, I think I'm trying to remember where I was last week. So we have there's these like two roles pre-connection for for Bluetooth. 
Um, can you hear my fan spinning up? I don't know why it is. Um, so there's the central role and the peripheral role. And then there's also the broadcaster and observer roles as well. Um, yeah, this is what he does all day. He just sleeps. Um, so I was initially really confused with all the different terminology from we have palms in Seattle. We do. I was not pleased about it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. This is a, they have like hardy palms. They can handle like some cold temperatures and, uh, they put them <laughs> oh, unexpected maker's got to go get a flux pen. You've got an hour and 20 minutes or so. I think we'll get, to, I need to get some BLE work done. So we'll do that after this cat break. So let's see, let's switch back to the desktop. Yeah, so, or maybe I should do this. So there's kind of the process of Bluetooth is you have two devices, one of them, one of them that's off the screen. One of them is like broadcasting out, hey, I'm this, here's some information about me. And it's like not encrypted. Everybody can see what that information is. Although it could, the data itself could be encrypted. And then you have another device that can be listening for that. Um, and that process is kind of like the thing broadcasting is the broadcaster. And then there's a, the observer. Um, are you linking, linking to me from the notes doc from last week? Where I was last week. All right. Let's see. Hello. 9.58. Let's see, what did we talk about? Desktop. Good morning. Threading, MQTT, adding the BLE. Wait, no, this isn't last week. We're missing one. We're missing the 28th. There's been a bug. You might be able to get the transcripts from the YouTube API. Um, anyway, so I did, I think I did scanning and advertising and then, so that's the, the broadcasting and the listing. And then the next step after that is initiating a connection. Um, and so what I did manage to do is I, I got it so that it could advertise and then connect and then disconnect. And, uh, but that was only me connecting to it instead of it connecting or, uh, my phone connecting to my test device um rather than the reverse so there's like 
the person that broadcasts and the person that scans and then uh, the person that scans is typically the person that initiates the connection and that's that's known as the central and then the person that they're connecting to is known as the peripheral role um, and then once you've established that connection there's a process to discover the services that each side presents so for example like my an iPhone will present you with the device info service the current time service that allows the other device regardless of whether it's central or peripheral to request information from from the other device um, which I guess is kind of hard to understand so let me just get into the the, the actual stuff so uh, if you look in the Adafruit CircuitPython BLE repo, there's an examples folder and there's um, these two, the things that I was trying to do, well, I added a couple new ones. Um, for Thomas, I added this device info service. So this allows you to just do this generic advertisement and then print out what, when you are, once you're connected to something, printing out the manufacturer and the model of the thing that connected to you um, so that's the it's the it's the peripheral role because it's advertising and then it's the client of the device info service on the other device which is the server so there's a lot of different terminology it does make sense but it took me a long time to kind of get over that hurdle um, so I added that one, and then I added just like this other simple advertising test um, that doesn't require any of the services stuff to work. Um, and so the next thing I was looking at getting working on the S3 is this, um, is there a battery service available to, um, we can see. So in here we have Adafruit BLE and then we have services and standard device info HID, but I don't think, oh yeah, here's battery service. So if it's in this dunder init, that means it's kind of like you import the name of the folder and then you'll get it automatically. Um, and one thing that I did that's kind of weird, but I'm still pretty happy with it, is I, I used a very declarative form of Python. So uh, there's this object battery service, and you say like, oh, there's a uint8 characteristic on it that has the max value 100. You can read it and you can notify. So maybe we should, maybe this is what we should talk about today, because I don't think I've done a good job explaining it, and somebody was telling me I should write a guide for it, and I'm not a huge guide writer, uh, but maybe covering this is a good plan. And it matches with how I titled it. So so there's two main terms or, or, or things that, or specifications that they'll talk about for BLE, blue to low energy. Gap, and gap is the thing that manages advertising stuff and connecting and then there is higher level stuff that is uh gat which is the attribute stuff and we did talk about this last week because i remember asking what they <laughs> what they stood for um so this this library is really building on top of gat 
So GAT is, is the process of providing services to the other device that you're connected to or other devices you're connected to. And then um, the reverse is being a client of the services or servers that the other devices provide. Um, and one thing that I try to do that's kind of weird, but um, I think I did manage to do is uh, make it so that you can have one object be kind of both. So what does that mean? So um, if you are the, let's just use the examples as the, <laughs> so if we look in the examples, you'll see that there's two UART things. So UART is typically, it's a very basic serial link to and from. Uh, or like bi-directional serial links. So you just say, write this, and then the other side can read that data. Um, and so we've got two things here. We've got a client. So this is the, I'm not running the service on myself, but I'm talking to it remotely. And so the way that that works is you say, oh, if I'm connected to something, and uh, what you can do with this library is you can say, if the service is in the connection, um, and then this is fan this is Python fanciness. So, so this is known as a comprehension. So I think it's better to read it kind of like this. So for every connection in our connections, uh, do this thing, which is check for a UART service in the connection. Hello, mate. Five oh seven. Um, and then then it runs an any call. So if any of those are true, then it will be true as well. Um, and then if that's true, we're connected to something that provides the service. Now we try to find the connection that actually provides us the service. And then this is how we get an instance of a UART service class uh, that represents the service on the other device. So we say, within the connection, give us the UART service. And then what we can do is now treat it like a UART. So we can write to it the words, or the characters echo, and then we read, uh, each of the bytes back and print them out. And then we loop around and do the same thing. So we, well, we sleep and then we, we do an echo again. So what you should be doing is you should get, you should say echo and then from the other device get echo back. Um, if you're not connected to something, now you've got to start scanning to find a device that, that says that it provides the UART uh, service. So that's what this is doing. Umut says, hey there, can you point me to a CircuitPython joystick hit example that uses analog inputs for the PyPico? Um, I don't know if we have one. The place I would start is the USB HID custom. This guide, customizing USB devices in CircuitPython. There's an HID one. It talks about consumer control, uh, custom HID devices, and joysticks are game pads, I think. So the game pad is the one that you want. Um, the other thing to look at is like click into the library. And just like we're browsing the examples there, uh, for the HID one, you could do. Uh, this like gamepad example. 
there's a move joysticks. So what you'll do is you, you would do like an analog read and then say move joysticks between those numbers. I don't I don't know of a guide that specifically does what you're asking. Um, but that's where I would start. And then the other place to start is if you don't know how to read, if you don't know how to read analog stuff, you can start with the getting started with Raspberry Pi Pico guide, which has some examples. And maybe a, the potentiometer will tell you how to read because the joystick is basically a potentiometer. So you kind of need to mix those two things. And if you have trouble, the Discord's the place to go. So the, the chat above me is the Discord server. Um, you can go to that by going to adafru.it slash Discord. And there's lots of helpful people that can get you unstuck if need be. Okay, so going back to Bluetooth. Um, so this is the, the client side of interacting with a service. And then on the server side, this is what it looks like. So um, you just create the object. Um, and it's the same object that we that that does both things, but it the way that you create it or get it dictates whether it's like a local or a remote. Um, but it's like the same definition of the characteristics, which has some trickiness underneath the hood. But I think it's actually quite cool once you learn how to do it. Is that you just declare the characteristics in your service, and then you've got both your client code and your host code. Um, so here's what it looks like uh, on the on the local server side. Um, so you're serving the UART service. Lots of terms. Um, so you create a a provide services ad advertisement. This um, is a way to say, hey, I provide this service to everybody that's around you. You don't care who connects to you. Um, and then there's, so you start advertising that, and then you just wait for somebody to connect to you. And then once somebody's connected or while somebody's connected, you, you read a byte. If there is a byte there, um, then you print it, and then you write it back to them. So it's, it's echoing it. Um, so pretty simple. I think this is the simpler of the two things. Um, but that's kind of like both perspectives of um, of using kind of services over BLE. Turns out that this part is making this side work is actually going to be kind of hard, unfortunately, and it's hanging me up on this this work that I'm doing. Um, and the reason that it's hard is because a lot of Bluetooth stacks, including Nimble, are really designed so that um, it's just designed around the idea that you know all of the services that you're going to do up front before you start up everything. Um, but that isn't the case because that isn't the case for CircuitPython. 
um, because you could actually have Bluetooth running when you actually get to this point already, um, particularly with the BLE workflow, where um, CircuitPython has its own BLE services that it makes available so that you can see the, the serial output and also so that you can edit the files. So there is going to be those two services already, plus there's two other standard services that are basically required. Um, so you're actually going to, when this code starts, you're going to have four services probably running already. And the thing that uh, some stacks don't do and, and what Nimble doesn't allow for is that um, this here, this UART service instantiation, is adding a service that we want to provide. And the Nordic soft device that we use on NRF uh, 52 is okay with us adding services as long as when we add them, we add them kind of all in order. And we should talk about what makes up a service. I don't know if we, we probably talked about this before when I did BLE workflow. But I don't remember. <laughs> we can recap it. Thanks, Pierre. Have a good one. Have a good weekend. Um, yeah, so what makes up a service? Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, a service is kind of a, like a collection. So the primary thing that you're reading and writing are what, what are known as characteristics. Um, and I think of characteristics as kind of like fields where they're just like some particular state. So... Um, at the simplest level, Pierre was talking about like the uh, battery service um, or the device info service. It's really straightforward, right? Like the, the two fields that you're talking about are manufacturer and model number. And those are just characteristics. Those are characteristics of this service. And the, they're characteristics of the device and, and within the category of kind of like the service. So that is pretty straightforward um, that mental model of just like there's a value there you might be able to read it you might be able to write it um, that's pretty straightforward um, where it gets trickier and trickier is that um, things like the your example where it's not really that you have like values that you have state for, but rather like a stream, like a, a continuous stream of values. Um, and that's where the model that they went with, with all this GAT stuff kind of, it gets weird. So what happens is that the there's some complexity around characteristics where not only can you read and write them, but um, you can also like decide to listen to when the values change. So you can say like, hey, hey, server, I'm a client of yours, and I would like you to notify me whenever it changes versus me having to ask you constantly whether it changed. Um, and where is serial number? It is documented. So, uh, yeah, that's getting into a little trickiness. Um, so there are optional characteristics on these services. And so uh, if you look at the implementation and the thing that would cause it to be documented, if we go into services, standard, device info, we'll see that there's actually multi there's, there's more fields than just the two that I'm printing off. Um, but 
the reason the example only has those two is because that's what iPhone provides. So because these are optional characteristics, um, the version of the device info service just on the iPhone doesn't have it. So if we actually look at um, Bluetooth.org, we might be able to find the specification here for device info service. Device information service. So let's click that. Let's take a look at it. It's pretty good. There, there's a pretty good amount of stuff that is is documented. You can see the people that like came up with this. It's interesting. There's nobody from Apple there. Um, nothing like reading specs. <laughs> yeah. So the service is a primary service, and then there's these UUIDs, which are what are they? Universally unique, universally unique identifiers, maybe? That's what it means. Basically, they're big long numbers that are meant to be unique to identify a service. And then there's also UUIDs for characteristics and uh, descriptors as well. So descriptors are like state on characteristics, <laughs> which is uh, probably the, the clearest example or the simplest example is you can have a descriptor for a characteristic that is the like a user-friendly description of what it is. Like there's a user description characteristic that you can add to all of... There's a user description descriptor that can go on a characteristic so that you can discover it dynamically. Um, and that's really the thing about uh, where it is. So... Um, So the device information service may expose one or more of the characteristics shown. It's possible that none of the characteristics below are included. Um, and you can't have multiple copies of them. So just because it's documented doesn't mean that the, the server that you're connecting to actually presents it. And what you'll find is that if you add serial number to that example, it says that the it's unable to find it or something. Um, so because the server stuff is really hard, what I've been working on is the client stuff. So the client stuff is the UART client example is what I've been working on. And I made some pretty good progress. So uh, let's show it off. So what pieces are actually happening here? So first, what really happens is we don't have a connection. So this actually, this bit happens second. Let me make it bigger in case folks are actually watching. I know people are listening, but I don't know if you're looking. So um, the thing that the, the thing that happens first is really this part of scanning. So what you do is you, you initiate a scan and say, hey, I'm looking for anything that's scanning that they provide any services. And then when we get when we see an advertisement that includes that, let's um, skip any of them that don't have the UART service. Um, and then if we do find an advertisement that's some other device saying, hey, hey, I've got this UART service available if anybody wants it. Um, if we find that, then we tell the Beely radio to connect to the device that matches that advertisement. So there's some 
some identifier in the advertisement that can tell you like what other devices is saying that. So the first thing that, that happens um, in this example is initiating a connection. So I've added that. Previously, I allowed things to connect. I think, I think in what's checked in, you're able to have something else connect to you, but you're not able to initiate the connection. So in the code that I did this week, um, you can now initiate the connection, which means that you're the central. That's the, the, the BLE term is that you're the central device um, when you do that connection. So after you connect, we, we'd hit this connected. We'll stop the scan because we found the thing that we want to connect to. And then we'll do this connected check. So this is just making sure that we haven't disconnected uh, for any reason. Networking is fun because things can just disappear at any moment. Um, and then this process is actually one of the trickier things. So we list the connections. That's pretty simple. But actually determining whether a service is available in a connection um, or over a connection is kind of a better term for it. Um, means that we have to do this process called service discovery. So um, BLE has this process to say, Okay, given this connection, I want to figure out, do they have this service or get me all the services that they make available? And so because we're doing this UART service in connection, we know the unique ID of that service. So when we say, hey, I want to know if this other device that I'm talking to or this other device I'm connected to, um, I want to know if they have UART service. They should because they advertise that they do, but there's no guarantee. There's no reason you can't fake it out like that if you wanted to like they, those are more distinct processes than a lot of people think i think or at least as when i first came into BLE, my understanding was so it's really important to think that advertising even though there's like these ids that are shared like they're really separate processes the the gap side which is advertising and connecting and then once you're connected doing this sort of like discovery and interacting with servers or services like a service is the definition of the thing. And then when you're hosting it, you're the server. And if you're interacting with it, you're in the client role. And you'll see that in libraries. It's pretty common to have like a GAT S versus GAT C. So to say like this is a server thing that you're doing or a client thing that you're doing. Um, so there's this discovery process that you can do. So you've connected and now you want to say, do you have a UART service? Um, so there's a discovery process which I've implemented and kind of and let me just show you the code this is a deep dive after all shouldn't be scared to go deep okay so uh, I'm pretty happy with how object oriented even though C is not does not make it easy I think our codes pretty pretty well object oriented so um, we're in the connection object so we're in Ports, Espressif, BLEIO, or CommonHow, BLEIO connection. So this is on a per thing that we're connected to basis. And then there's this, these are callbacks. There's this, uh, so functions that call, start with CommonHow are things that are kind of mirrored um, that, that are exposed in Python land. So there's an, a Python equivalent to this. Um, and this is where the BLEIO library plays some tricks to, to convert that 
hey, is this is this UART service class in this object? Um, it's going to behind the scenes call discover remote services, and it can take a service whitelist, which is a like, oh, I just care about these UUIDs essentially. Um, so what we do is we say, okay, like we're going to run this discover remote services process and we're going to pass in the whitelist. So that's what's above that. And so we say, um, oh, like if the whitelist is none, that means we just want to discover everything. So this call here is the um, nimble call to get all services. And you can see here that it's got this GAT C portion to it, which means that it's it's kind of like part of the GAT client API. So discovering what the other device provides over GAT. So one of the things I've been having to learn a lot about is what's really common in the Nimble API is that you give it a callback. So you give it, so this here is actually a function pointer. And then the next parameter is the object that gets passed back to you when that callback's called. So what we have to do, because we kind of expect discover remote services to be blocking, meaning it does the whole process and then returns. Um, what we have to do is we have to use the free RTOS primitives to say like, okay, I'm just going to wait until this thing's done. So that's what this take is. So take is saying like, okay, I'm going to wait until I get notified um, that it's my turn to, there. It's that I get notified it's done. So discover all services, we'll call this um, discovered service callback. And then there's a different version of this, which is if you give it a whitelist of UUIDs, it does this GAT C discover services by UUID, um, and it's in a loop. But it uses the same callback as the first one. And it also has its own take. Um, so if we scroll up, we've got discovered services callback. It gets a connection handle the error, the service information, and the argument that we asked it to give it back to us. Um, we check the error status. If it's um, any error status besides success, then we give back. So it will potentially call this callback multiple times. And um, the last time it calls us, it will say it's done. So there's an error stat. There's a success error status and there's a done status, which is a little weird. But we're basically, we're trying to wait until it's done. So if it's, if the error status is not success, which includes done, then, and it's the first time, then we kind of finish. So we, we store it in a variable we can read later, and then we also start back that other task. Um, if we just got an item, we do some allocations. Uh, so we allocate an underlying service object, and that's that's the service object that like Bealy, the Bealy library wraps in the UART service thing. Um, yeah, so the service from connection creates a service object that is remote, and then the at the GAT stuff is like there's a big long list of all of the services characteristics and descriptors that are made up that, that are available. 
and they have these unique numbers for each of them, which are called handles. So, so the handles tell you like what item, what, what index in that table the thing is. So when you learn about a service, you'll you'll figure out what handles, handle range encompasses the service. And we have the UUID of it. So we'll make an object of that as well. And then we add it to our remote service list. Going back down to discover remote services. So we've done it either one of two ways. We either discover them all or we're discovering them by UUID. It does take time. So uh, discovering by UUID will be faster because instead of discovering that whole table, you're going to discover just the section that you care about. Um, and there's, I think there's like a lot of back and forth and stuff. So uh, if you're, if the connection process or getting that the first time is slow, then you might want to try to do just the services you care about. So once you know the services and their ranges, the next step is to discover all of the characteristics. So that's what this call is doing is discover all characteristics. Again, it's GAT client. And now you're doing it. You're saying, I want all the characteristic info for this section of the table that is all of the things for the given stream. So that's where you're using the services start handle and handle and handle to like narrow down what part of the table you care about. There's another callback to um, to get that information. And then lastly, you, you do that again. So for every characteristic, now you get all the descriptor stuff and that's what this is doing. Um, and there's appropriate callbacks here um, for each of those things, but they're not that different. There's some like data, data differences between the, the things. Like here's properties about whether you can write or read or notify or things on different uh, characteristics. Um, but kind of fundamentally what services, characteristics, and descriptors are doing is they're creating the objects for you to use later. Um, even though the objects have like slightly different data in them. So once you've done that, now we're back up at the common how we create a new tuple and we put it back. Patrick says, missing show notes are live in the repo, and maybe I fixed the bug with adding the thumbnails that was breaking the action. Nice. Thank you for doing that. All right, well, that's the weeds. Um, but this is something that I got working. And so once you're able to discover the service and creating all those objects, now you can use them. Um, and so I've been working, you can see here, I've been working in characteristic a bit. Um, I think I'd actually written some of this code before, but I hadn't tested it. So now I was able to write stuff. So let me, we got 45 minutes. Let me actually run the, the example code. So I've got two things here on my desk that you, you won't be able to see, but I'll tell you what they are. So first I have, whoa, that camera's closer than it used to be. This is an NRF52840 board, our Feather. And uh, on this side, you can see here that's kind of got this similar like module on this. So this is our, the first chip that we supported with BLE. Um, and so what I have here is some code running the, the UART test. So the server side of the UART stuff. So I'm going to plug that in on my desk here. And I basically just leave that running. Um, 
as something that I can connect to from the ESP. And it actually pops up and I'm gonna just mount it and then eject it because I don't actually care about it. And then I've got this. Make sure I'm making sure it's the right one. So I've got this ESP S3 board and um, it's got the client UART code on it um, so that it can connect to the NRF and try to do the echo test. Which Dan pointed out to me when I was talking to him. He's like, a lot of our examples do GAT client stuff. So like if you've ever seen like a Bluetooth thermometer that you're connecting to, like that's all GAT client. It's not GAT GAT server. Unfortunately, the BLE workflow stuff is all GAT server stuff. So once I finish this stuff up, then I will be moving on next week into the server world. Okay, so let me pull up this. I've got this lovely set of four, four things here, and I'm trying to remember how I had them set up. So this one I think I had set up as dev serial by ID USB Adafruit. So this will be the top right will be the serial output from my the NRF board, and you can see here it is getting echoes. And then I wanted to do over here the serial the USB serial connection to the S3 board. So if we connect to that, we can see that we are printing out. Welcome back, Unexpected Maker. I got deeper into GAT service discovery stuff. And now I'm showing you where I'm at on this demo. Lots of weeds in BLE land, yeah. Um, Okay, so this is what's happening is that I've we've discovered the services and characteristics. We are writing, let's go back to our example, which is here. So when we're talking about here, we've discovered the service, so this is true. We've found it true again here, or yeah and then we've been able to get it out. And when we call write, we can see that the word echo is getting to the NRF. And then um, what this is actually telling us is that it's getting back to us on the ESP side, but we're not doing the right thing with it. So that's what this unhandled connection event is, is that there is a, there's an event that's coming back into a callback in, in, from Nimble that we're not handling. Um, so if we go back to our example code, we've done this successfully, but this read is not working. Um, that read is not reading the data. Um, and the reason that is, let's stay in these BLE weeds because they're not super clear. So how does the read work? Um, how, does, how does UART service actually work? So let's take a look at that. Um, and I'm going to open it in a separate window or a separate tab. So in Adafruit BLE, we have services 
and let's look. It's under Nordic. So Nordic are the folks that had kind of designed, defined this kind of standard UART service. Um, you'll also see it abbreviated as NUS for Nordic UART service. Um, so it provides UART-like functionality via the Nordic UART service. And our goal is that this API looks like bus IO UART, right? Um, so there's two fundamental things that we're, so here's, if it's not a standard BLE UUID, they tend to be really long. So this is the standard unique ID for the service itself. Um, that's what the UUID member is. And then we have two internal characteristics that we're talking about. One that does um, transmission and one that does receive. Um, and you can see that they have different uh, UUIDs as well, and we are defining buffer sizes. Um, <laughs> so then we have to do some a little fancy stuff here, um, some tricks under the hood. So if you initialize UART service, if you pass in a service object, like a lower level service object, we'll pass that up. Um, and then what we actually do is we, we flip which uh, one we're talking about, depending on whether we're uh, the service itself or not. So that's what this is doing here. Um, and we call ourselves connectable to, which I don't know why that's there. That seems weird. That's an advertising thing. Um, so how read does it, read just reads from the Rx, read into reads from Rx, and read line, Rx in waiting, reset buffer, and then write writes Tx. So uh, we have stream in and stream out, and they actually get um, these are related. The Tx and Rx are names for the server side. So like if you're not the server, or yeah, you swap them at some point. <laughs> like it's UART. You don't. I, I'm always confused about how you swap them. When in doubt, swap them. So let's take a look at stream in and stream out. Um, and their characteristics. So we're going to look in characteristics and their stream. So this is where I play some tricks, some Python tricks. So, so these are both complex characteristics. So what complex characteristics are, are they're kind of like I think of them kind of as placeholders. So at some point, you'll when you define the service, you'll say server TX equals this stream out. But what happens is that when, when it actually starts getting connected, it gets replaced. So that object actually doesn't stay there. Instead, it gets replaced by um, what it gets bound to. So um, this initialization of stream out happens before the service object is actually created because it's a dis data descriptor, which means it's kind of like outside a function. This is deep Python stuff, um, but it's all in service of being very declarative at the outer level. Um, so holding on to some settings, and then complex characteristics have this bind thing. So you can say, hey, I have this service object bind to it, and then 
it can do that at the top level and then we have some specific stuff that we do um, if the service is remote meaning that we're the client then we use a characteristic buffer to right so this is stream out of the server so if we are remote there's stuff coming from the server to us and we have to buffer it um, otherwise we have bound right stream which goes the other direction and then stream in is going to be very similar it's just going to do the reverse um, it does bound right stream if we're remote and if we're not then we have to buffer incoming stuff um, so they both rely on this characteristic buffer which is actually a primitive a native primitive for BLEIO um, and then bound write stream is like this object that gets replaced and it just has this write call and it just writes to the characteristic there one thing that write could do to make UART faster is actually um, it could if you wrote multiple times small things it could like actually piece those together to to put those together into packets but it doesn't so I think I've covered all of the Python-y stuff and there's definitely tricks here um, into how this works where it like gets replaced and things but it seems to work pretty well um, and it does make it very declarative which is cool um, I guess I didn't talk about the superclasses but I don't I don't want to get into those weeds right now uh, because we have 35 minutes to fix this demo so we have characteristic buffer and what does it have so we we can construct it we can either construct it like dynamically where we're allocating memory or we have a version that takes the memory in in case we want to in uh, initialize it without uh without dynamic memory which is very useful for um the circuit python uh, Beely workflow stuff so we can statically allocate a characteristic buffer for the UART uh, service that we provide as part of like core Beely workflow um, and then we provide read and how many characters and things are in our buffer and whether we're connected so it's it's like not too complicated um, although this is not the full implementation so this is the espresso version and you can see kind of that there's a lot of this ring buff stuff so ring buffer is a, a memory area that you're like writing values in and when you get to the end of it you'll start putting them at the start so you're kind of like keeping a sequence of values together but that sequence can wrap around um, hence the term kind of ring so we kind of have a standard ring buffer implementation for that um, and that's what buffer size is all about too so this is the thing that doesn't work um, it's not actually putting the bytes that we're receiving so the the way that the bytes come out of a Nordic UART service is that they it happens through notify so this is the hey hey I'm a client you're a server I'm not gonna keep asking you whether this value changed just tell me when it changed and that's what the there's two mechanics to do that there's um notify which is like hey let me know that this happened and there's also indicate and indicate is like hey 
not only should you tell me that this happened, but I have to, you should require me to tell you I, I heard that. Um. <laughs> Keep the EE says not too complicated. This is a deep dive, true deep dive. Yeah, we're getting, we're getting pretty deep, but uh, that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> if you have questions, please ask them. Um, if I'm, if I'm skipping over important bits, uh, please ask. I'm happy to take a step back and try to explain what I'm doing. So I do think this is an interesting design choice from the Beely side of having these two terms for notify and indicate in one direction, when there's also kind of like the corresponding uh, sort of commands going the other direction. So there's two ways to write to a characteristic. So I'm a client and I want the server to have this, uh, I want to ha have this value, and there's two ways to do that. I can do write, and I can do write without response. So, um, Bruce S is was up too early and hasn't had a nap yet. So write, write is just like indicate. It says I'm gonna write to you this value, and you have to let me know that you got it back. Whereas write write without response can say, hey, I'm gonna write this value, and you have to tell me or you don't have to tell me that you got it. Um, and the other piece is that um, there could be a long time between like when you write, like milliseconds between when you write and when you hear back. And so it's much quicker to do the write without response uh, stuff. Both no write, write without response and notify can be a lot quicker than the ones where you're required to wait. But yeah, it's it's understandably tricky. It took me a long time. Like the only reason I have this good of an understanding is because I've done it before, which is also why it's kind of hard for me to want to work on it again. Is like I've been there, I'm not learning a lot. Bluetooth is tedious. Yeah. We haven't even talked about any of the security stuff yet and the state that you're supposed to store with that. We'll get there, maybe. Or I'll hand it off to Dan. <laughs> Hopefully I can at least do the server stuff. <sighs> Who implements the security stuff? We did. Well, that was one of the things I was doing with the BLE workflow is getting the security stuff kind of on by default. Beely has a lot of moving parts. Yep, I agree with you. A lot of what I've been thinking about is also trying to kind of figure out what our long-term Beely plan is, because we have the Nordic soft device, but the soft device in Nordic is actually closed source. Like, you can't look at it. It's just a binary blob. Um, and so I think I, what I'd really like to see is, like, uh, version of like a, a Bluetooth stack that is very similar to tiny USB where it's just like we have one Bluetooth stack and we use it for everything um, we use it for everything that has BLE in the same way that we use tiny USB for all of our USB stuff so that like my long-term goal is like I'd love to see us just use this one BLE stack for everything um, and that could be really cool too for the Nordic chips is because we 
talked about the NRF 5340, which is the later, the newer NRF chips. And that's not supported by a soft device. It's supported by Zephyr, but there's also, um, it's also supported, I think it's supported by Nimble as well. So Nimble could be the way that, that we go, just like this is the stack we're always gonna use. How do we go about building CircuitPython? You have two files for boards that aren't in the download list. Um, if they aren't in the download list, that probably means that they uh, don't have a board definition, which is pretty easy to do. Um, there's two tutorials that will get you started. And as always, the Discord's a great place to get help. But um, if, we're, if we don't support the board, you'll need to add a board definition. Um, so here's the tutorial on how to build CircuitPython. And then there's also a tutorial to how to add a new board. It's faster for me to search my browser history than to find it on Learn. Um, so between those two things, that should be able to, you, you should be able to add it and then, um, please, uh, submit it and we'll get it on the downloads list. That would be awesome. So I'm not familiar with TinyUSB. Is the BLE workflow moving to be TinyUSB, but over Bluetooth, not USB? No, TinyUSB is more, TinyUSB is not not workflow specific uh in the same way that bluetooth has this BLE stuff that we're talking about has layers like usb has layers as well so like usb has this lower level link layer which is what they call it the BLE also has a link layer and then kind of on top of that link layer there's this standard um it's almost like services, like we were just talking about, right? Like, but what's the term? Um, like H USB HID, USB MIDI, USB mass storage are all different um, classes and descriptors and stuff. So that it's, it's very much like what is built almost on top of GAT. In BLE land is also what you need for for USB. So they're not... I, they're similar in the way that there's like protocol code that you need that sits atop kind of a standard hardware API. Whereas like the, the amount that you need to change chip to chip is actually not that much. Um, in BLE land, in, in, in USB land, that's usually just like there's a few different types of packet types on the wire. And then it's all a matter of like putting those together. And there's like us pretty small API that you have to implement like on a per hardware implementation basis. But then there's also the, uh, like, but then there's a whole bunch of stuff that's standard that's built on top of that. And that's what TinyUSB does. And then in BLE land, there is this pretty strong API that the Bluetooth spec lays out called HCI. Um, so there's, there's two core components to BLE, which is the host, and then there's the controller. And the controller is the thing that's like pretty timing sensitive. Uh, and then there's, a, there's an API between the controller timing sensitive stuff out into host land, and that's the HCI interface. 
Um, and so the host side of that can really be, um, there's a standard API and that can be shared. And that's kind of what, what, what we're all talking about right now. Um, the lower level link stuff is what the controller handles and that is usually like something that the vendor provides, uh, which means it's pretty easy to, to fit uh, a standard host stack on top of the HCI API. Ideally. Hamslab says, I'm going to set up building CircuitPython there really soon. I let a friend borrow my Linux system while I fixed theirs, and for some reason, things weren't good, so I just reinstalled Linux since this deep dive started. Goodness, that's a lot. Thank you for the explanation. Yeah. I'd much rather have one stack than a lot of stacks to maintain, though. I'll tell you that much. And so we were, what, one thing that we've been doing is like we're, <laughs> the MicroPython folks have like two or three BLE stacks that they maintain. Uh, maintain, not the whole stack, but maintain working in MicroPython. Um, and our philosophy has always been to like really pick one. And one of them that they use is Nimble, which is what we're using here. So... We're trying to like collaborate with them on on maintaining Nimble uh, and changing it in ways that benefit both of our projects. Because you know, CircuitPython and MicroPython have common problems of being more dynamic than usually these stacks expect us to be. Um, which is the services thing is an example of. But yeah, lots of lots of details. Okay, so there's how to add the board stuff, and Discord's a great way, great resource for that. <laughs> there's no software engineering problem that can't be solved with another layer of abstraction. Yeah, Tammy, I've heard that too. I think that the main thing is getting the, the abstraction in the right places. But there's some pretty neat things, like... The MicroPython folks have been using Nimble for a while, and they've actually gotten Bluetooth from MicroPython on Linux working because on Linux you can talk HCI to like a USB dongle. So you can have a USB dongle device that's running a controller, and then over USB you can speak HCI into your host, host Nimble stack in MicroPython. Um, it's very, like, it's pretty standard. The problem is that not everybody gets it exactly right, as is the case in most specs. But it's pretty standardized. Um, okay. So what are we thinking? Let's take a look at the. Let's take a look at the implementation for. the NRF version and see how it works in NRF, which I've already done, but we'll do again. And I think we're running out of time because my voice is tired. So we'll go another 20 minutes and then call it. Okay, so we're in characteristic buffer, but this time in NRF. So NRF has this right to ring buff, and then it has this characteristic buffer on BLE event. So 
this is similar to the callbacks that we were looking at earlier. And we can see that there is event IDs. We can see GAT S. So this is server event write or GAT C. If we're a client, then we got HVX, which I don't know what HVX stands for, but it's basically we received a notification. So in one case, we write to the ring buffer because somebody directly wrote to us, but in the other case, uh, we're a client and they essentially wrote back to us um, using that. So you can see that this like this use really fuzzes the idea that you have this like one single value that you actually care about. Um, in this case, you actually care much more about just the, the data that you're sending back and forth. Um, but that's the key piece that we're missing here. You can see that um, we're adding... Oh, did I copy this over? We might want to leave this open. So we're so in the constructor for characteristic buffer, what we're doing is we're adding an event handler. So we're saying like, hey, like whoever manages this event handler, which is kind of a global, like, hey, call this function uh, and give our object back to us if uh, whenever an event happens. And then there's actually like a lot of events that flow through here that we just don't care about. They just fall into this default case. Um, and then further down, it's all this standard ring buff stuff. So it's really just a like, all right, in the Nordic stuff, we have this event handler that gets called and then snags the data out and writes it to the ring buffer. And then we read it from the ring buffer as we need it. So that's what we need to do on the Espressive version as well. Um, but this, the Nordic stuff has kind of like one one event handler to rule them all. Whereas a lot of the nimble stuff is like, if you're doing an advertisement, like you provide a callback and when the advertising finishes for some reason, that callback gets called. There's kind of not, not necessarily one kind of event handler to rule them all. Um, but there is one that gets this information about when notifications happen. Uh, remember, we're only focusing really right now on the GAT client case because the GAT server stuff is hard for other reasons. Um, yeah, the GAT server stuff is hard. Um, so what we need to do, and I think the way that I decided to do it is um, I just need to essentially have this event handler system to delegate uh, handling of some events down to individual individual characteristic buffers, or we also have another way to buffer, which is packet buffer. Uh, Unexpected Maker says, just for clarification, this is all BLE workflow stuff you're working on right now, not just standard BLE support for the S3. I missed you starting work on this today. So this is more the latter. It's more just standard BLE support um, than it is workflow specific. Um, the workflow stuff is built on top of our standard BLE APIs, so there's a lot of sharing. Um, the one trickiness that the BLE workflow stuff adds on top of this is the fact that it, it needs to be able to work without doing dynamic memory allocation. Um, so you'll see in, in these APIs that we've got here, we have these like underscore versions of things, um, and those are the versions that don't allocate memory, they take the memory in. Um, 
And then we have this wrapper version that gets called from Python that does do the memory allocation. So a lot of it's shared. There's not a whole lot of difference. Um, but the thing that is different is the fact that we, we do have to think about memory allocation. Um, this is not actually working on the BLE workflow side, though, uh, because what the BLE workflow stuff needs is to be a GAT server, not a GAT client, unfortunately. And there's difficulty and, and, and harder things to do in that, in that space, so I want to get the GAT, GAT client stuff working first, which is GAT client is all about um, talking to another device to get information from it. Um, so after this gets in, you should be able to say like, oh, I found this thermometer and I want to read values off this, off of this thermometer. I know we have scanning working in main now, so it's good to know this is continued support. Yeah. So this main currently has scanning and advertising and you can connect to the device, but you can't initiate a connection from the device. This code has initiating that connection and um, discovering the services that that device has and then talking to it. Um, handle value notification or indication. Yeah. Right, so handle is like the numbering in the attribute table. Value is the thing it's pointing to. And like I said, notification indication is like hearing back uh, hearing back from a, a device to know that something changed. I think it should be a little bit more symmetric, but they do like having separate terms for separate things, which is generally a good policy. It's just you have to be able to describe them well, and not all the resources I've seen describe them well. All right, let's see how far we can get, because I did start this. So I've added... Let's go back to Espressif. Actually, I want to. I think I want to steal this. Let's see if we have this in here already. We don't. I deleted it, <laughs> which is good. So um, you can see that we have the same static handler entry here, and I changed the name of that. I, I need to figure that out. I should probably move this event stuff, some of the event stuff out so it's shared. So the, the names are, are different. I'm gonna have a problem with that. Um, but we can do this characteristic buffer on BLE event thing. So we need those. What I was renaming this is, I don't like abbreviations. So I, I renamed this to Bealy event add handler. And the cool thing, so the way that the handler works is, pull it up. We're not going to finish this today, but well, I might finish it after the stream, but not before the stream is ending. So the way that the event handler happens is that you can add a handler, remove a handler, which are just functions. You can add an entry, 
And what this allows you to do is uh, add something to the list without causing an allocation, which is great if you're uh, doing things statically like you do in the BLE workflow. Um, and then the way that the uh, you store all of those things is what's called a links list, which uh, for any of you who are uh, classically trained software engineers will have done lots of linked list stuff. Um, but the basics of linked lists is that uh, you have a struct object and it points to the next thing. Um, so it's got a pointer to another entry. So that's what this next is. And a linked list is defined by uh, a bunch of pointers between entries and the last entry doesn't point to anything, it points to null. So next will be null on the last entry of that list. Um, the advantage of doing this is that uh, there's a couple things. One is, uh, how do I say it? What's nice here is you can mix statically allocated stuff and not statically allocated stuff. Um, and we also know that the statically allocated stuff will come at the end. Um, it's also nice in that if you need to add more things, you don't need, if you have an array where you're like, everything's right next to each other, if you need to make it bigger, you have, potentially have to move it and copy it and that gets really tough. But um, the nice thing with linked lists is that like, the things that you add to it can kind of bring the memory with them, um, which is really convenient um, because, so in the case of like the characteristic buffer, um, in the buffer object itself, we can store its entry for, for that. So if we look, I'm sure it's in there. So it makes memory allocation and ownership easier to manage. Oh, it's not in there. <laughs> I expected it to be. That's interesting. Maybe it should be. Um, this add handler will allocate a separate one. Okay, so we need that, and then we need the callback. Let's just call it the same thing. Let's copy these two things. This is what I've been doing a lot of. So I take the NRF version, and I decide how I want to change it. One thing here is the right to ring buff. I don't actually think I need this. So these critical region things are um, making sure that uh, something doesn't interrupt what we're doing, which then leads to memory issues. But I don't think we need that here. I don't think we can be preempted or interrupted by something. So I think what we can do here is we can just write uh, it directly. It'll be fine. We don't have a bunch of code that we need to copy in places. It's just one call. And then the BLE event that we're dealing with is different. Um, it's no longer a Nordic thing. Uh, gap event function. So I actually have a second sublime text open. So you can see this is actually the function type for this and it gets the this type of event. And so that's what 
this is here. And the param is the same thing. We're going to want to cast it, and then we can treat it as self. And then event here is it has a type. And then what I've also been doing is in default, I've been saying um, if circuitpy verbose BLE, let's just print f that we got. Uh, Unhandled gap event, which might be redundant. We might get a lot of those prints, but it can be kind of handy. And that's actually what we're seeing right now as well. Unhandled gap event, and then the ones that we want to support. So we're going to actually need two callbacks because. In, in the Nordic case, we get, we get events for both rights and notifications, but I think the callbacks that get the rights are different than the callbacks that get the notifications. So we're just going to do one side of this thing right now. And the way that we're going to figure out that is I think in this giant header file. So this is the struct that they give you. So there's usually like a substruct that matches the type. So like periodic transfer, scan request received it doesn't make sense a lot of sense to me that this is in the gap one it's really not a gap event it really should be gap level but it's complicated as we've all as we've all seen so this one's interesting so this says uh something subscribed to you so if you're the server this tells you that somebody's listening and you need to notify um, so that's interesting and that's actually how it gets really complicated if you think that, you know, you are is like you are talking to one other person, but you can actually have multiple connections, and both of those things can listen to notifications of a value. So you have to play some tricks about like, well, if you only really want to send it to one place, you've got to kind of have a, a way to figure out who you send it to. Um, notify TX. This is saying like something finished. Uh, that you hint that you did on the server, and then no notify RX is is if your client and you heard back. So this is the one we care about, and this is actually the the, t the type that matches up to it. So what it gives us is it gives us a buffer of the raw data, a, a boolean essentially to tell us if it's a notification or not, um, the connection handle and the attribute handle. So what we're going to want to do here is it's the equivalent of this. And let's delete that because we're not going to use that here. So let's do the equivalent of here. This is an anonymous struct, so I don't actually think I want to do this. I think what I want to do instead is must be a notification and event handle much ma must match the handle for my characteristics. So we're going to say event and we want to know if it's a notification. So we're actually going to do notify. Oh, you can't see this other part. That's okay. Notify rx dot indication. And we're going to, we want that to be equal to zero. If it's one, it's an indication. If it's zero, it's not. So that's the equivalent test here. And then 
to get the handle, we say event notify rx dot adder handle. So that's the attribute handle there. And then the data is in this om buff. This is what I'm looking at. So I'm looking at here. So this is where their data or data is. And this could be more complicated. Because it could be non-consecutive buffers, which is kind of annoying. Um, and I don't know it very well. So, so OSM buffs are basically linked lists of buffers, which is convenient if you don't want to have to do an allocation just to merge stuff together. Um, and that's fine. That's ring buff is copying the data, so we can we could do it piecemeal. We just have to get figure out how to get all the pieces out of the M buff. Which I don't know how to do. Make fetch submodules is taking a long time. Shouldn't be that long. It's a lot better than submodule init, which will pull down a giant GitHub repository for Raspberry Pi. You could do it selectively. <laughs> Patrick says, has there been any discussion of doing BLE mesh support? I'm not sure why I'd want that, but I'm curious uh, if much discussion has gone on about it. Um, I haven't seen any discussion really. Nimble does support it, so that would be a good foundation to build an API. But right now I'm focused on getting the existing BLE API that we have going. Um, I figure we would want to do it at some point, but I also like BroadcastNet, but that's my bias. I don't know. I'm not sure I've seen a lot of people doing BLE mesh. So if you want to add it, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good community project. I mean, that's the advantage of doing something like Nimble, right? Is like we could add a BLE mesh. We could add BLE IO and BLE mesh APIs that were just standard. I know. I think it makes a lot of sense to have a common, common stack. Hamslab says it's doing a boat boat ton of clones. That's what fetch submodules does. We have a lot of submodules. And did we merge in the ST one? I think I did. So yeah, there's even more. We have a lot more ST ones now. All right, so the next thing that I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to figure out how to split apart this OM buff stuff. Um, and then once I can do that, I can... I'll just add each individual buffer to the ring buffer because there's no reason I need one giant buffer to copy it over. 
Um, almost need like a loop. I'm sure there's an example in here somewhere. Like here you can copy data out of the own buffer. So I should just, I could look at the implementation of that. And see how they loop through it. Just do that. Copy into, concatenate, extend. up I don't know what that means rearrange the chain so that length bytes are contiguous I mean I don't need to do that all I, all I need to do is go over through through each one so yeah I think I want to just look at the implementation of where was it copy data If I just steal this, I don't see a way how to just say like for every mbuff do this. It is really nice that it's open source. Copy data. Apache <laughs> Mining offers the world's first fully open source BLE stack. Comply it with Bluetooth 5. Yeah. I wish it was what people were still working on, but I think Zephyr's got a lot of folks working on it. All right, it's 401. My voice is tired. I'm gonna try to actually get this going today. And I've got an hour before I'm playing some video games. So I'm gonna wrap it up. Thank you all for joining me. Sorry if I caused you to yawn. Uh, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Um, Follow along. I do push all my changes, so I'm in this ESP BLE GAT client, and it's still running. It hasn't crashed. That's good. Um, so check out my repo. You'll see this ESP BLE GAT client. I use it as my backup, so if you ever want to see what I've been doing, check that out. Um, let me just pull up my notes to make sure I don't forget anything. Um, as always... I'm sponsored by Adafruit to work on CircuitPython and do all this BLE stuff and do these streams. So please support them. They support me. Uh, you can support them by going to adafruit.com, doing some stuff there. Uh, if you want to hang out with me and everybody that you've met today uh, through the chat, please join the Discord, adafru.it slash Discord. Um, that's where we're, we hang out all the time. There is a... Uh, there is a CircuitPython dev channel that if you're trying to build stuff, that's a great resource. Um, if you're trying to do internal stuff, core stuff, that's a great place to start. Um, deep dives happen every week, uh, probably for the next month. Um, probably not much more than that, at least from me. Uh, normally Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific. Should be true next week as well that it'll be Friday at 2 uh, I typically go for two hours or so. <laughs> I'm 
I haven't done the more in a while. I think I've got to talk less if I'm going to make it past two hours. Uh, and then thank you to Patrick and David for uh, David for taking the notes and Patrick for organizing them on GitHub at uh, github.com slash Adafruit slash deep dive notes. Um, thank you to them for doing that. Uh, you'll t yeah, check that out if you want to go back and take a look at stuff. Um, ne yeah, next week's on Friday. Hopefully I'll get a PR out or at least make some progress on this cat client stuff today. And I'll pet the cat and we'll get out of here. Uh, we'll see you on the discords and streaming next week. All right, have a great weekend, everyone.